Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey there, it's Eric J. Olson with another live episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. Today, I am joined by Joanne from L.A., How's it going, Joanne? I'm great. How are you? Good. Well, it's 12.30 here for me. I know it's like the start of your day there, so I appreciate you taking the time in your morning to join us. Certainly. Glad to be here. Joanne, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your firm does? All right. I am born and raised in Los Angeles. I am a family law attorney. My practice is devoted exclusively to family law. And by that, I mean, I do litigation, mediation, and some collaborative divorce services for family law exclusively. I do not do juvenile and dependency, and I do not do adoption or surrogacy law. So it's devoted exclusively to issues related to divorce, child and spousal support or alimony, division of property, reimbursement claims, and that sort of thing in a divorce context. I also prepare cohabitation agreements for same-sex and opposite-sex or non-gender identifying persons, prenups, and postnuptial agreements. I also have a partial or side expertise in preparing prenuptial agreements uh, that are multi-state and multinational, so outside the United States. And that's basically what I do. And I do a lot of uh, counseling and and mediation, like pre-divorce counseling for financial planners and investment managers, uh, their clients, uh, CPAs, uh, estate planning counsel, that sort of thing. Interesting. So uh, really a focus on kind of... uh... Well, two people coming together or going their coming separate apart. ways, right? Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Uh, but uh, I think you said not not really a juvenile or... or no. It, no. In California, uh, the juvenile and dependency courts are separate and apart from the family law courts. Mm-hmm. And there is a great deal of special expertise governed primarily by the Welfare and Institutions Code as distinguished from the Family Code. So it's a special bar. And uh, most of the people who practice, I would say most, who practice in juvenile and dependency, um, there's some overlap with family law. But I would say there's not that much family law. There's not that many family law attorneys who also do juvenile and dependency work or surrogacy or adoption. They're they're specialized, at least in in Los Angeles, they are. Yeah. Is is that something that is unique to family or juvenile focused attorneys in California? You know, I'm not licensed to practice in any other state, so I can't speak to the legal practices in other jurisdictions. Gotcha. Totally understand. It's very interesting. You know, I I recently found out that not only can you get a prenup, you can get a postnup. Yes. You don't hear about those a lot. No, but uh, I'm uh, doing a postnup right now for a woman. It's her second marriage. She's much wealthier than her new husband. He's coming into the marriage with a lot of debt, and she doesn't want to be responsible for his premarital debts. It's just clearer this way with a postnup as to who is responsible for what 
debts and obligations. So yeah. she feels more comfortable and her only son feels more comfortable with his mother having a postnup. So, sure, uh, but, sure. Uh, but some years ago I did a divorce for couple. They were in their seventies. They had, that was each their second marriage. They had done a prenup and then they wanted to do a postnup to amend the prenup to provide for new provisions regarding spousal support. And then they got divorced. They knew they were going to get divorced. They were courteous and civil with one another, but they wanted it very clear and they wanted the court to honor their prenup, but also honor the postnup with regard to their modification concerning support because he had been an attorney and then retired and he had reduced income, that sort of thing. So yeah, you can do both. <laughs> so I was kind of under the impression that a postnup could only be done for a certain amount of time after you're married, the nuptials. No, so that is not correct. Want. Okay. No, so but there are timing. There are definite timing requirements in California for a prenup mm -hmm. in terms of when the final document, the final draft is presented to the parties, when it's reviewed, when it's signed. So there are time requirements, certainly for a prenup that do not apply to a postnup. And then there are uh, disclosure requirements applicable to both, but in California, married persons are in a fiduciary relationship. Obviously, the, the attorneys listening will understand what that means. But in layperson's terms, it is the highest good faith and fair dealing. So there are very strict, I would say, disclosure requirements for people who are married and entering into a postnup. They may not be quite as strict for a prenup, although you must give fairly full and reasonable disclosure of your assets and debts going into a prenup as well. Really interesting. Well, I don't have either one of those. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't have personal experience with that, but that, that is very interesting. So it, it, it definitely sounds, well, it, it's an agreement. Um, yes, and it's it, a contract. And I guess it doesn't really matter. Well, I assume it doesn't matter all that much if the agreement is made for or after. Well, except that you have no leverage for a postnup. Well, yes, I agree. <laughs> so, I understood. As, yeah. as long as the two parties agree. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. How has COVID and things like you know office shutdowns and uh, limited in-person interaction, how has that affected you and your law firm in the last year? Well, I've been working mostly from home, although I do come into the office a couple days a week. I am not fully uh, digital. I still have snail mail that comes to my office. I still have a few clients who do not pay by credit card or wire transfer, and they send me checks, which then need to be recorded and deposited and that sort of thing. Also, I'm older. <laughs> And uh, when it comes to discovery, I prefer to be able to refer to the actual documents, hence that pile uh, behind me on the credenza there, which is I, I uh, to be trashed. Yes, that's <laughs> it. But uh, when it comes to voluminous amounts of discovery, you know, some people are able to look at it on a flash drive. I really like to have the, the actual printed out documents in front of me because I like to go through them and then there's stickies and notes that I put on them if I'm going to do a deposition or I'm going to follow up with special interrogatories. So it helps me. Other than that, uh, most of my meetings have been done by Zoom. The family law courts in Los Angeles are pretty much closed. 
They highly discourage attorneys and litigants from coming physically to court, although you have that option. And so I've done most of my hearings by webcam or the telephone if there's no uh, webcam. And there's no indication as to when the courts will be, quote, fully open again. I think that uh, the courts themselves, the judges, their court clerks, the law clerks uh, for law and discovery, I think they really prefer not having a full courtroom, people coming in and out of the courtroom, people talking, people on their cell phones, even though they're not supposed to be, uh, the door slamming. It's. I think they get a lot more done. My impression is that they like it very quiet. It's very studious. Uh, it, there are some disadvantages for counsel coming in on webcam or telephone because of delay, but there's also the option to take matters out of the system and to have a private judge. And again, the private judges uh, who do full trials or discovery referee work or mediation uh, are able to meet with the clients by Zoom, and they can still do separate chat rooms and separate rooms for confidentiality, and the judge can go between the rooms. So, you know, petitioner and, and counsel and respondent and counsel or their and their experts are all can be divided up. And so it's very, very convenient. And certainly people not driving to court, now you can hire a lawyer. Los Angeles, as you may well know, is a very large county. And so sometimes before COVID, people wanted lawyers that were local. Well, now that locality mentality is not so pervasive because you don't need to drive to the lawyer's office. You don't need to drive to court. And it's changed the practice. And certainly for mediation, people used to always say, oh, I'm not going to drive from Burbank to Long Beach or to Santa Clarita. And now it doesn't matter because if you're operating by Zoom, it doesn't matter where you are. So it's been pretty convenient. In terms of uh, my peers, I'm in a family law study group. A lot of the lawyers have maintained their staff and are going in rather regularly, and they have been. And then I, there's a couple lawyers that are all online, and they haven't been to the office at all in the yeah. past year. So something really interesting uh, about that, what you just talked about, is that you know a lot of the lawyers that, that we deal with, they're very focused on, well, either national level, state level, or if it's local, around uh, you know like a, a circumference around their office so basically the local market that they're going after has to do with uh, around their physical proximity but it sounds like if this trend continues with these zoom depositions and trials and everything else that has to do with courts the physical location won't be nearly as pertinent which means that someone like you could actually you're you're in los angeles you could i assume reasonably advertise for uh, work out of say san francisco yes even you're not based there whereas in the past yes. say two years ago you would never do that it would be far less likely that's true and in fact i am negotiating a prenup right now for a couple and they are planning to move from the bay area to los angeles my they're both still in the bay area but I represent one of the parties to the prenup and the other attorney is in San Francisco. So, wow. yeah. 
but it's, it's state really... law, so it doesn't matter. You're right. It could be in Eureka and San Diego. It doesn't matter. You're right. But that that's going to open up, I imagine, a lot more opportunities for you and for other managing partners, right? You, you're especially if, if you're at you know traditionally a local level. Now you can have multiple local levels within your state. You you could, but you you have to keep in mind that for purposes of divorce, there is a residency requirement. And so a person who wants to file, for example, in Los Angeles County must be a resident of the state for six months prior to the filing and a resident of Los Angeles County for three months prior to the date of the filing of the petition for divorce. So. Uh, the person has to has to live there. They can hire a lawyer, an, an attorney right. who's qualified and anywhere they'd like. You're right. Interesting. I, I, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, so, you know, what, one of the things that I like to, that could be a new business. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you continuing with the interview, although that could, Absolutely. could be a client. So thank you. So growth plans and, and trends. So, you know, one of the trends that we just talked about are, you know, all, all this Zoom interaction with the courts it sounds like, based on what you just told me, that that will probably continue at some level in the future. Quite all right. Go ahead. It would it. probably continue. Probably continue even post-COVID, right? It'll continue yes. at some level. Yeah, the, these uh, virtual court interactions, if you will. What, what Are there any other kind of trends that you've picked yes. up on in your yeah. industry that you think are pertinent? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So they're having a meeting right now with the... Uh, Beverly Hills Bar Association, there's going to be a MCLA, Mandatory Continuing Legal Education. This meeting doesn't happen to be mandatory, but it's for informational purposes for the state bar in California. And I just want to read a very brief printout from the Beverly Hills Bar Association, which is one of the issues that relates to the expansion of legal practice and legal services for all areas, not just family law in California. And the blurb says, the state bar's professional working group and closing the justice gap working group are poised to permanently change the practice of law in California by allowing para paraprofessionals to perform legal work in certain administrative and court proceedings, including potentially allowing paraprofessionals to be paid on a contingency fee basis by allowing non-attorney ownership of law firms and fee sharing with non-attorneys. So the questions obviously that are gonna be coming up and will be discussed at this webinar are how will these changes intersect with the current regulations governing unauthorized practice of law? How does the public interest and legal aid organizations, how do they feel about these proposals? Will there be an impact on attorney state bar fees and malpractice insurance premiums? And again, what are the roles of the legislature, the governor, and the California State Supreme Court with respect to these proposed rule changes? And in general, it's been uh, noted and reported that up to 75% of citizens in California feel or actually do not have access to legal services and it's not just related to cost and the price of attorneys, but I think, and this relates especially to family law, there is the perception that it's a win-lose situation. And with family law, you don't want that dynamic 
a win-lose because you want there to be as much civility and cooperation for the benefit of children, especially so that they're not made pawns to this constant battle between the parents and that the children are not, you know, felt so divided and and such divisiveness and acrimony uh, because this causes emotional, it adversely affects the emotional well-being of children and it lasts for a lifetime. And so uh, this polarized dynamic doesn't work for family law and you want to be able to provide as much legal service as possible and will the use of additional paraprofessionals aid in that provision for legal services for family law purposes. It's, right. it's not the way, but it's a way and how we're going to, because there's certainly low cost and free legal services for family law and other, you know, civil law purposes in California now, but there's a considerable amount of expansion that's provisionally being discussed at this point and and will certainly become to some extent law in in the near or not so distant future yeah yeah really interesting couple Mm -hmm. things there uh towards (laughs) towards the end of of that you you talked about you know uh the impact on kids you know things like divorce and whatnot and you know i've i've seen grown adults yeah, 40s and 50s that still feel the pain yes from those days you know it's oh, like yes. that pain never goes away so i think that's really important to try to minimize that mm-hmm. kids. Uh, but mm-hmm. also you talked about um paraprofessionals yes and a non-attorney law firm ownership but uh paraprofessionals what who would be a paraprofessional what does that mean well it's a person who doesn't have a law license but they work closely with lawyers. Now, very big law firms and family law firms, but really big civil litigation firms have a lot of paraprofessionals working for them to work up discovery, to perhaps do basic interviews with clients. For example, in bankruptcy law firms, the paraprofessionals do a lot of the work assisting the lawyers, preparing schedules, interfacing with creditors, and that sort of thing, because there's a a great deal of of prep work at the beginning of a bankruptcy in terms of who are the creditors, have they filed claims, what's the status of their claims, that sort of thing. And in terms of Civil, uh, there is with corporate work and minutes and record keeping or real estate transactions, certainly for probate administration, a lot of paraprofessionals working under the supervision of attorneys do a lot of the interaction with the clients and a lot of the paperwork for family law. Uh, they may do uh, the preparation of simple discovery documents, preparing the petition or interviewing the client for an income and expense declaration or a schedule of assets and debts. What I think the, if I may call it pushback, maybe from the bar right now is paraprofessionals appearing in court because right now they do not, they're not licensed to appear in court. Only a lawyer who has passed the bar and is licensed by the state and has it is current with the state bar fees is, is it, um, authorized to practice law in court. So I think some of the concern of the bar is, well, 
what are they going to be doing in court? Uh, how do they know what to do? Who's going to be training them? What happens if they don't catch an issue and they make a mistake? And what, so, and who, I can't answer those questions now. I don't know. Well, maybe they can only uh, work uh, with the court systems over Zoom instead of in person. <laughs> I don't think that's going to really <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's the solution there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm just joking. No. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Hey, we, we are going a little bit long, but I, I do want to ask about some of your growth plans. So certainly you have a, a lot of experience. You provided a lot of really good information. I really enjoyed the part about the trends and uh, you know what things are changing. What are, what are your growth plans for the next uh, couple of years, say like five to 10 years from now? Well, I don't plan to be working quite honestly in 10 years. I plan to be retired in 10 years. In the next uh, two to five years, I'm going to be transitioning and doing much less litigation and doing a lot more uh, mediation and preparation of uh, agreements, uh, cohabitation, prenups and postnups. Okay. So I don't want to be tied down. I want to be able to work remotely like the young people do. And if I want to have a second home or a retirement home, I'd like to be able to work from there and not be tied to a physical office in Los Angeles, or at least work out of my home. So in terms of marketing, I belong to several professional uh, networking groups. And I find that that kind of marketing strategy works especially well for me. I think I always say family law, like estate planning law, you are talking about the most personal matters in your life. And some of it can be embarrassing or shameful. And you, so assuming that you're speaking to lawyers that all have the same level of expertise, their, their hourly rates are probably gonna be somewhat comparable. I say for family law, it's most important that you have a rapport, that the litigant, the client has a rapport with that attorney because that litigant, that client is gonna have to talk invariably about some very, very personal things. And if the client doesn't feel comfortable disclosing those things to the lawyer, that's not the right lawyer for that client. And you, and so I always say that the emotional rapport, even though the lawyer is not to be emotionally involved in the client's life, yet the client has to feel comfortable talking to the lawyer about very, very personal things. Uh, and so I, that's why I think that personal interaction for people who know me, who, who make re referrals to me, they know me. And I find that still, even if it's on Zoom, it's not a personal meeting. Marketing for me is getting really to know people and how do I operate? What's my philosophy and my general personality, if I may say that. Love it. <laughs> so, yeah. That's great. Well, if someone wants to meet with you and find out what your personality is all about and see if you can help them, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? They uh, reach out to me through my website. You can just Google my name. I also have a website. My website address is showing up there on the screen. And you can call me or email me. I'm very uh, diligent about getting back to people. Uh, you can also find out about me on LinkedIn. There you go. All right. Thanks so much, Joanne. And Thank for you. anyone else who is watching, if you're a managing partner looking to spice up your marketing with things like websites or SEO, reach out to us, Array Digital at ArrayLaw.com. All right, Joanne. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.